and he's got to go to Middlesbrough and get something. I am not playing mind games, I am talking about facts. If I speak, I am in, in big trouble. And I think you, 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 you are an ostrich. Hello everyone, it's the fifth episode of the Talking Absolute Ball podcast and we've we changed it up a little bit this week. Intentionally, not really. We can't all be in the same place. So we're going to chop and change the hosts of it throughout. However, there's going to be one constant, thank goodness, it's Mr. Alex Miller. How are we, Alex? I'm good. I'm always here. I'm chained to the chair. In fact, the podcast is all I have to live for. I just sit here and then I get a message from you saying, are you ready? And I'm like, are you kidding? I've been sat here for six days. I'm ready to go. And the millions are thankful for it. So what shall be happening in this podcast is that the, the first section shall be hosted by, of course, Mr. Alex Miller and Mr. Nick McNee. And then the second and third, you'll be joined back with me. Hooray. And you shall be talking about the England match in the second section, England against Croatia, and some transfer bits. But first off, I shall leave you with the dulcet tones of Nick McNee and Alex Miller talking about newsy bits from this week. And uh, on to the news where I, Nick, am covering for Cam this week, who is away fighting his nemesis at the top of a clock tower. Alex, we got all this Euro stuff going on, but let's let's circle back to the Premier League. Um, Spurs are close to hiring Paolo Fonseca after they appointed uh, Paratici as director of football. Is this a step in the right direction for Spurs, or do you think this is another mishap, <laughs> a la Jose Mourinho style? <laughs> Oh, sorry. Sorry, I'm not quite... After all of our podcast panic about Antonio Conte, I've not come down from the high yet of finding out they are going to get absolutely stuck with Fonseca. I think you're a bit um, less cold on him than I am, Nick, but I don't understand this. All you need... I, look, I'm not going to pretend that I'm like an in-depth follower of Italian football, but even the raging trash fire that was Roma last season came across my radar and the fans' hatred of him and the absolute just despair at his leadership. I don't know where they're going with this. Why would you... It's, it's the lack I, of options. I... When, you, when you replace Mourinho with the guy Mourinho is replacing at Roma, I'm, I'm baffled. I think it's hilarious. I don't understand how they could have done worse than this. I... I disagree slightly I, I i think it's more like the pochettino mold you know a type of manager where i said okay we've tried to win a title or a cup with a manager who has got a lot of titles on his resume it hasn't worked out to the point where it's led us to a complete car crash and so now we're going to go with a manager who is um you know is going to rebuild the style of play that i think poch kind of put in place so I don't mind this as such I don't think it's awful I think and also you don't have to pay compensation for probably a, a similar manager like like a Graham Potter for example I mean is there much difference between Graham Potter and Paolo Fonseca I'm sure there is it's like in I, terms I, of style I think of play, there is but, but I also I think there's a bit of a difference coming into this 
from the situation that they were in when they took Poch from Southampton. He was coming off a good run. I, I think mm. a lot of Roma fans, and again, I may be wrong, but it's just vibes that have come across my radar, so to speak, have seen this last season as a bit of a disaster. They've kind of mm. dropped out of every competition they were in. They've gone from sort of trying to compete for Champions League places to now being well outside of them. I think he's coming off a really I... bad spot. There might be a good manager in there. It may be a project that works out, but I don't well, know where let, you see let, let me try and convince you here. I'm going to read you... Um... I'm going to read you Tottenham's stats. Um, you know, the ones that matter, essentially, under um, Jose Mourinho. And then I'll give you a okay. brief com- you know, comparison. Uh, Mourinho spurs for shots, 12th in the league. Mourinho shots against, 12th in the league. Total um, expected goals, excluding penalties, 7th. Um, expected goals allowed, 8th. I mean, that's not really what you want. Now, now, we'll get to Fonseca. Shots four, sixth in in uh, Syria. Okay, maybe not the best improvement, but then shots against tenth. Expected goals fifth. Expected goals allowed seventh. Like those are all noticeable improvements. Okay, by like one or two spots, but and maybe you can say that you know uh, the Premier League is a lot harder than Syria. I mean that's a whole other can of worms that I don't think we really want to open. But I I do think this is a step forward in the right direction. Now, is it better than Antonio Conte? No. No, no, no one's going to say this is better than Antonio Conte, and I don't think anyone's arguing it. But I just don't think it's that bad. I think it's a. I think if it's a choice that Daniel Levy and I think his name is Fabio Paratici have made, then it's a one which I'm like, okay, I can understand this. Okay, yeah, I mean that is a rosier angle than what I'm adopting on this. I I do see what you're saying that the stats for Fonseca there are an improvement on Mourinho. That's cold, hard fact. And like you, I'm, I'm not going to get into the whole, well, what about the competitiveness of each league? Because I think in many no. respects, that's a really bogus argument when Premier League fans yeah. make that point anyway. So I, I don't buy into any of that, so I won't go there. Um, it strikes me, though, as... If they're not going to go backwards, they're going to stay the same. And mm. treading water for Tottenham could be lethally dangerous right now when they're not going to go out big guns in the transfer market. Treading water will guarantee, if it's not guaranteed already, that you lose Harry Kane. Mm. It will probably guarantee that somebody like Son is looking for an exit in a year or so. So I, I, I think maybe, I, maybe I'm harsh. Maybe it won't be a disaster. Maybe they will tread water. But I think that could be just as dangerous for Spurs right now. In terms of yeah. long-term growth, I th- I think as well. Um, just just to kind of add a little bit to your argument, I'm playing. I guess I'm playing both sides here. Info. We probably don't need that. If you're Harry Kane and you see Paolo Fonseca as the next manager, when you could have had Antonio Conte, are you going to be all that impressed? I would wager the answer is probably not. I I completely agree. And in fact, if anything, I think it pushes him more towards the exit door. If he wasn't there already. Um, I think losing out on the Conte race to him will make him think, okay, I'm not going to win trophies at this club. I need an exit route. So I, I think it's it's not just a case that he's less appealing than Conte for Kane. I think it's a case that it actually pushes him further out the door, missing out on Conte in that way. And well, I say that, obviously the the spin, if you like, from Spurs is that they were the people who pulled the plug on those talks of Conte. Now, 
Yeah, I, I don't know how much you, you want to buy that, but it, the fact of the matter it is... Sounds, it sounds like there was a mutual kind of... I think yeah. Conte probably realised, we don't have an... You know, they don't have the money for me. And uh, Spurs probably went, we also don't have the money for you to spend on players, so... Yeah, but, yeah, but I, I, I think I'm, whichever yeah. angle you come from there, your star players are going to be really turned off by that. Obviously, when one is making vocal noises that he wants to leave already, I think you cement that fate. That being said, you I mean, I've said that, I'm probably going to immediately disagree with myself. Say if the Kane transfer doesn't pan out this summer because, I don't know, somebody's not offering mm. Spurs the funds they want for it right now. Do you think he's the type of player that won't train, will have sort of ghost injuries and not really play? I don't really see it. No, so maybe, I don't see it either. So maybe they could get away, maybe I'm wrong, maybe they could get away with keeping a disgruntled Kane there, but I don't think that's a particularly great solution. Good for uh, Deli Alley though, who uh, should actually return to the lineup for once uh, after yes. eighteen months out in the cold. So, <laughs> I mean, Ryan, given that Fonseca anyone? plays a four three two uh, four two three one, yeah, I, I'm just I'm just a bit kind of I I don't mind this as uh, an option, you know, for them um, at the end of the day. Uh, anyway, Alex, um, there was some more momentous news today. As uh, the Athletics' own uh, Peter Rutzler and the Daily Telegraph's John Percy broke that uh, Scott Parker of my beloved Fulham is all but set to leave Fulham Football Club. It is. Um, it's an interesting time. I mean, given that the club had seven weeks to prepare for this eventuality, given uh, all the noises we heard coming from. Uh, Craven Cottage about how uh, <laughs> how uh, Parker wasn't happy, but um, you know, as as a neutral to this, what's your uh, opinion on what's gone on? Given how much you've heard me complain over the past two and a half years, well, I, you have complained a lot about Scott Parker ball in the last two or three years. I like to think though I, I've tried to remain a little bit unbiased in the face of that, but even I will concede that I don't fully understand. The Scott Parker hype. Well, hype's the wrong word because maybe it's not that strong. But the the air of positivity that surrounds pundits when they talk mm. about his Fulham career, I don't hugely see it. I think you got promoted with a great squad, and I think mm-hmm. the uh, the run in to this season that was just gone was horrendous, and would see any other um, manager's stock plummet. So I think for mm. Fulham, it's probably a good move to part ways with him right now. This being said. Javier Pereira. I mean, like that would worry me slightly. That seems. I, I, that would, that would, that, that, that's the option. That is. Um, I feel like when you're a, uh, you know, a country that's just been taken over by a military dictatorship <laughs> and you need a puppet, this is, uh, this is the option you go for. So he's your, um, he's your man in the camo vest saying this is not a coup. Yeah, exactly. Um, this, it's, it's. Beyond uninspiring, but um, we'll just circle back to Parker quickly. Sure, because, sure. Um, getting ahead of myself. Well, Bournemouth, Bournemouth is um, Bournemouth are a bit of an interesting scenario for him because that seems to be the spot where we'll go. I mean, we'll we'll go back to Fulham in a second, but um, a bit strange uh, of a choice for him. I mean, yeah. I understand he's got family down there, but Arno Danjuma was their best player, and he's probably set to go. Dominic Solanke might get a Premier League offer. Um, David Brooks as well. 
it it's it seems a bit strange to go after a Premier League club that's just had a quite a bad defeat against Brentford in the playoffs. If you if you uh, remember, yeah, I think uh, I, I completely agree with what you said there. I think it's a strange place for him to wash up, not least because I I think there could be a bit of a culture clash there. Like, I don't mm. know particularly how Bournemouth have played this season. You will know more than me about that, I'm sure, but. It is a club, whether you like Eddie Howe or not, that has been a bit moulded in his image. Mm. Uh, Scott Parker gives off a kind of football which isn't really related to that, I would say. So I think it's a bit of mm. a weird place for him to wash up. But if you're Bournemouth, maybe you're now prioritising, you know, get back to the Premier League at all costs, style be damned. And at the very least, he's a manager who's shown he can get a team by the skin of Joe Bryan's teeth promoted. Mm. Yeah, I, I'm I, I'm kind of interested to see now because obviously at Fulham, Tony Khan and his uh, stats team, um, I say that in inverted commas, have a large say of a transfer uh, there and I don't know how much Parker did. I can't imagine Parker was exactly uh, dying to bring players that he'd probably never heard of like Yoki Manderson in before, but maybe he did. I, I'm not 100% for sure. Um, on the Fulham side... Um, I mean, this is this is such a this is this is such a possibility that you could have seen coming a mile away, and it was obvious when the Athletic started there were reporting that Parker wasn't happy, and neither were uh, Fulham's hierarchy, which I think most people forget is that they only took two points from their final thirty, uh, it was just both horrendous. of which are against big six teams C- against considering... Manchester United. Yeah. Go on. No, I was just going to say, considering how you clawed it back to be in a real dogfight with Newcastle, and Newcastle, if anything, seemed to be the team on the downward spiral, you know, Mm. obviously given that late run of form Newcastle had, an on-form Fulham maybe wouldn't have been able to keep up with that because their form was just tremendous in the the run-in. But as you say, two points from those last games, you'd have expected him to, from the position he was in in February, to push that a bit farther. And I think it was a collapse at the end of the season. Fulham scored the least amount of home goals, um, uh, goals at home, I mean, in a uh, in a season uh, under Scott Parker. So I think that stat just kind of speaks, um, speaks for itself, really. Um, but I'm just very worried as a fan of them that they're going to appoint someone who is very much a yes man, which it seems like the rumoured links with Javier Pereira are. Is... Of course, formerly a number two at, under Slavisha Jukanovic, who is now at Sheffield United. Yeah. Um, it's it's not going to be a particularly fun season when they have a real opportunity to kind of uh, build upon success and stuff. I mean, there's there's so many options out there, um, but I can't exactly say that I'm expecting them to take the right one. Um, and if I you know, could... I, I think this. Yeah, if I could just ask you a couple of questions about that, actually, uh, given Mm. you being in the know about this. Does Pereira... I'll ask sort of both at the same time. One is that, does Pereira sort of represent the nightmare option of just standing still, nothing changing, and do you think you can get back to the Prem under him? And the second question, the more fun one in a way, is ideally, who would you want to see them go after? Well, I'll go with the first one um, initially. I think it's not the nightmare option. It's I, I understand it in a sense. It's a man who's worked under 
um, Slavishi Kanovic at Fulham before. He was briefly Fulham's dave, whatever, whatever his role was, uh, for a few months in November 2020, um, towards the end of a season where it seemed like he was like the assistant director of football, but really he was there. Then if Scott Parker failed to get promoted, he probably would have stepped in as manager. Um, so in a sense, I understand it, but it's I can't exactly say it's particularly enticing. Um, with regards to the second question, I think th this is a bit of a strange one because there's a lot of managers out there now looking for work, you know, and such. But I think Fulham need to be a bit more taking the initiative, you know. They need to look... They, they, they've played this really dull style for so, so long. And the relationship between the owners and the fans, or the owner and the fans, given, and as well as Tony Khan and the fans, is... It doesn't seem particularly um, um, particularly repairable, rather. Um, there was a statement last week issued by the Shad Khan, the owner, which didn't really seem like it was written by him. It was your essential owner's jargon. Um, very much... Uh, <laughs> you, you'd probably be familiar with it, Alex, the uh, after the Super League <laughs> kind of apology of, we have such great fans, you know. Um, <laughs> We've made a terrible mistake, and we couldn't have exactly. corrected it. Without you. Exactly. Uh, in that kind of manner. So I think they need to appoint someone with some connection to the club. And this is going to be a name that not many people will know. He was a player for Fulham before. But I will, I will go with Moritz Voltz, um, who, was, uh, who played for Fulham um, in the early 2000s and stuff. But he's been an assistant coach at RB Leipzig um, for a few years now working under Julian Nagelsmann and Ralph uh, Rangnick. And, you know, it's he's uh, used to be a, a fan favourite and stuff, uh, played for a long time at Craven Cottage. And to be honest, it's just, it's just, it's worth a go. Like, it, there's a good pedigree there, you know, and there's a good uh, crop of German coaches. We've already seen Jürgen Klopp, uh, you know, have a go. David Wagner even had some success as well. Maybe we Fulham didn't with Felix Magat, but regardless, like, let's just try something new. Like, we saw Barnsley last year try Valerian Ismail from the Belgian leagues, um, who I believe might have played with him. I know he definitely played for Crystal Palace back in the 90s, but it's, it's an approach like this. You need to take a new approach. You can't go with a safe option anymore. You can't go with a retread like an Alan Pardew or a Tony Pulis. Try someone new. Go for some fresh blood. That's all I ask. Yeah, I think it's really similar to what we were discussing with Fonseca at Tottenham in some ways. Um, maybe Pereira there is the, the treading water option. Okay, more of mm. the same, meaning, well, you might go up again, but as close as guaranteed to possible in this sport, you won't stay in the Premier League for longer than a season. Or, as yep. you say, maybe at least use this season and the next one to be different. It might mm -hmm. not work out, but if it does, maybe there's a chance at a more sustainable stay in the Premier League. All I would, um, all I would say to Fulham's hierarchy is, look what Norwich have done under uh, Stuart Webber's leadership as director of football. I think they also need to hire a new director of football, but that's such a big can of worms that I won't even get into it, frankly. Uh, speaking of uh, cans of worms, Alex... Um, it almost seems uh, as if uh, the rumours on Twitter seem to be emerging that Nuno is going to go to Everton instead of Graham Potter. 
like I thought would happen and make some competitive games on the Merseyside Derby, but unfortunately it's probably going to be Nuno. Alex, as an extremely biased Liverpool fan, what are your thoughts? I'm probably I'm probably not in a position to joke about competitive Merseyside derbies, considering they put one on us for the first time in almost twenty years. Um, yes, well, the but first time twenty years at Carlo Anfield. Ancelotti and yeah. Nuno are um, different. This this being said, <laughs> Nuno does not intimidate me in nearly the way that uh, Graham Potter Everton would have. Maybe I'm too much of a football hipster. Maybe I overrate. Graham Potter, but I think he's a fantastic manager. I really like Graham Potter. Yeah, seeing there's kind of two things to seeing him in a in an Everton tracksuit at the side of the pitch. The first one is obviously the competitive implication that would have had uh, somebody who can get an attacking tune out of that squad would worry me. And the second mm. thing, the more emotional thing, is it would break my heart because I really like this guy, and if he ever turned up in Everton, I, I'd cry myself to sleep most nights. But it looks like that doomsday scenario has been averted, as you say. I think it appears clear that Nuno is nailed on. I think I saw um, that Portuguese media especially is saying that it's going to happen, and obviously they don't often miss the mark in Nuno-related stories. Yeah. I, I look at his Wolves record, and you know I have a slightly more positive opinion of Nuno than you do, but mm-hmm. what I see there for Everton is reverting back to finishing in that 8th to 12th bracket every season and maybe I'm even being slightly generous giving sort of the 8th and ninth place there it doesn't worry me too much I will be interested to see um, how Nuno carries over to another club because I'm not quite sure how good he is obviously at Wolves with the agent and owner connection he had a lot going for him there and I'll be really interested to see if that translates over to Everton so Mm. I'm not (laughs) This could go back to bite me. I'm more relieved that it's going to be him than Potter. For Everton, I think it's going to represent somewhat more of the same. Unless yeah. unless maybe he is better than we realise and he can make a squad out of a place where he has less sort of connections. We'll, we'll see. I'm interested by it, but I'm not worried by it. I'm not um, particularly optimistic, as you know, but I think I've stated there. That enough times. Your, your opinions um, so, on Nuno are public record. At this very point. well known. They're very well known. Um, some few more tidbits as well. Uh, West Brom's technical director Luke Dowling has uh, been fired by their owner or left in. I think what's what's the what's the correct term nowadays for getting fired? Left in mutual. Uh, yeah. On mutual mutual terms. consent. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they still haven't appointed a manager again after they missed out on Chris Wilder because their owner vetoed it and that's another Premier League club um, getting relegated that seems to be in freefall really. Uh, I mean who would have thought that Sheffield United would be looking the ones uh, most likely to come back up. It, it's uh, yeah a whole uh, scenario of circumstances. And Dean Henderson has been ruled out for the rest of the Euros. Indeed I saw this and um Spoiler alert for our listeners here in the next segment that has already been recorded. Myself and our host, Supreme Cameron, will talk about the England match. And in that, I do express my confusion and consternation at putting two goalkeepers on the bench. That, in hindsight of this news, feels even stranger because I feel it's an injury they must have had some uh, Mm. knowledge of. Uh, and, And leaving people like Sancho and chill well out entirely when they as far as I know are fit and having two keepers on the bench 
one of them injured does baffle me but that cautious approach you know does seem very gareth yes that's a good point alex uh, we'll ha- have to see what happens with uh, you know gareth selection in this in the uh, the next couple of games but uh, yeah join us uh, after this for part two where alex and cam will break down england's definitely not boring at all victory over croatia after this I'll tell you what's unbelievable, Alex. We've only gone and won our first game at the Euros for I don't know how long. I, for are you ever, just, isn't it? Forever. Yeah, are you just thrilled? Just that was incredible. Uh, yeah, I particularly enjoyed the um, the the football match that was played. I thought it was full of highlights, like the uh, one goal that was scored. Uh, let's be honest. Obviously, we're really relieved to. I'm sure we're all relieved to get off the mark with three points. But I think the um, the performance was dour. Um, I thought it was strange after watching that really scrappy uh, match where they went back up to the BBC punditry box and everyone was ecstatic. Like Alan Shearer was saying, England looked really sharp today. When actually we sort of scrapped our way through seventy minutes of the match. Like ironically, the point where we did look sharp. The first 20 minutes with phone hitting the bar, uh, hitting the post and whatnot, was actually when we didn't score. So I, I'm happy with the three points, but the performance was a little bit worrying, especially if we're going to come up against France and Germany immediately in the knockout round. Yeah, we've we got to remember that a quarter of that punditry team was Fat Frank, <laughs> and uh, I don't really trust his opinions right now. Uh, it it was It was difficult to watch to the point that I don't. I couldn't believe I'd got to the stage that I'm watching a uh, first game of England in a major tournament, and I saw them score, and this was my expression. Well, you can't see my expression, but the noise I made was this. Hmm. That was it. And uh, there was no celebration. I would have celebrated more. I celebrated more when Mustafi equalised against like Vittoria in the Europa League. That that's that's where I got. To. I'm just so. So uninteresting. Not with the tournament. I'm I'm really into the tournament. I'm uh I I love the Euros. I love I love watching different teams play. But it does it just gets me down watching uh watching England. But nevertheless, it was a very good start, and I think we have to accept that. Actually, no. You know what? I'm not accepting that Gareth got it right. It was boring, and I know everyone has come out of it with euphoria. We've won, and it was good. We've beaten Croatia, but they were poor, Alex. Croatia were really, really poor. I, I still believe in Modric being uh, an unbelievably talented player, but they they were just toothless up front. I never expected us to concede, even with our backline of Mings and Stones, which that is that says everything. What do you think, Alex, of Croatia? Yeah, I've got a couple of things there. Croatia, I feel, weren't... I know they had the odd chance, but I didn't feel like they were going to score at any particular point of the match. In fact, I was really surprised looking at the stats afterwards to see they had the exact same amount of shots and the exact same amount of shots on target, as well as um, slightly more possession 
than we had. It just goes to show sort of how flimsy those sort of stats are because, well, as as you say, they were poor. They never really laid a glove on England, even with that defence. And the the second point, you know, we're talking about you know, how, how, how did they not get past that particular centre-back pairing. I thought Tyrone Mings was excellent. And I say this as somebody who's been down on him quite a lot in this podcast. Like last time I said I'd rather play Ben White ahead of him. And that still is true. I've not been fully converted. But I did think he um, he didn't look nervous. He was calm. It was a really good tackle he put in in the second half that I think even hurt him a little bit with how hard he went into it. But overall, I thought it was a really assured performance. And I noticed um, him sort of defending and holding the line in some ways more than I saw um, Stones doing it. So I was really somewhat quietly impressed with that, if not with the performance overall. Yeah, I I think that you have to give credit where credit's due. It's the first game of a major tournament at home. Big pressure on them. And look at that team. The majority of them have never played a major tournament game for England uh, before. You've got the whole of the midfield. Phillips, Mount, Rice, as you said, Mings, Foden. None of them have played. So I think that that is that it was a positive sign. And it was nice to see them look so calm and assured. Um, is Phillips the Yorkshire Pirlo, Alex? I did think he was really good. I didn't know he had that level of game moving forward and creating chances. Like, he was instrumental in the Sterling goal, obviously. That's yeah. his assist, but there were other chances he uh, he created in the game as well. And he had that lovely sort of low-driven volley about five minutes in that the uh, Croatian yes, had to yeah. work out to save. So I actually think he was really good. I don't know why I'm so surprised that he has all that game on the ball and going forward because he has played all season in a um, in a Bielsa team that you think would at least demand the ability to do that, even if he's not called on to do it often. So perhaps I shouldn't be as surprised as I am. I, I thought he was excellent. I would. Maybe I'm just ungrateful. Maybe I don't know what I have till it's gone. But I would just like to see maybe um, him making way for an actual all-out attacking midfielder maybe with mountain uh, rice behind that person like a Grealish that can set mm. up Foden or Sterling or that's the, um, the dream or the missing or the missing Sancho on the wing I would still like to see that I'm not going to lie about that but for the moment in in a game where Gareth arguably was right to play it safe and just get off the ground strongly I think Phillips was really good I, in fact didn't I am um, I sent you a message during the game, didn't I, saying, oh, it, is Phillips actually low-key a very good football player? I think he might be. Well, I think when we were bashing, well, I was bashing last week, the idea of a Rice-Phillips combo, and I was when the uh, lineup came out, I was thinking that that would be two screens in front of the back four, when in fact it was quite apparent that it was, as I had hoped, it would be just Rice doing what he does best and I think he does it so well um, that mopping up in front of the back four and Phillips was used as that kind of roaming box to box midfielder and he did it brilliantly his industry in midfield was amazing I have to admit I was getting PTSD at some point thinking back to it, it reminded me of Torreira in that number 10 position under Unai Emery that kind of he was sitting next to the cane and he was just trying to press and mop up uh, some of the loose play by Croatia, but he he played brilliantly. Do you agree with a 
a certain Jermaine Genius, I believe, who said on the commentary that he is now a guaranteed starter uh, in this England side. I think Jermaine Genius is part of a pundit class that gets very carried away with what they see in front of them every single time. Um, so, no, I think, again, he's got a bit carried away, though. I don't think he's a shoe-in every time we play. But, obviously, he has mightily improved his stock with that performance. Um I think now if you if you want to continue with that system where it looks like a two man midfield pivot on paper, even if in reality it's a bit more free than uh, a bit more free than that, but if you carry on with that system, I think he is um the first name on the sheet for that alongside Rice, especially with Henderson being injured at the moment. Um yeah. I don't think he's a shoe for every game, but he's not hurt his chances at all. I think that's a really good point. With Henderson being not 100% fit, I think that is the Henderson role, isn't it? That box-to-box, that industry in the field. And I think he played brilliantly. And he's he's not just one for the future, he is one for right now. And in those big games against, well, they're all big games, but, you know, that potential tie, uh, what this result has probably meant is that we're doomed to playing a France or a Portugal or Germany uh, in the last 16. So And maybe this experience will do wonders and he'll be able to put in a similar performance against them. But as you mentioned earlier, Alex, um, what happened to our Jaden Sancho? Was he in a beer garden performing uh, was it three lines or whatever it is um, with Jay Lings? Is that where he was yesterday? I'll come on to that. I'm assuming you've seen the same picture of Jay Lings I've seen where he has a parrot. A parrot? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I just wanted to comment. So is that really I've, a parrot? I've got questions. Like at first I thought, is it? Like a sort of strange accessory, but it definitely looked real. Yeah, um, it did I, look real. I'd, I'd like to know what's going on there. Like, is that his parrot, or was it another um, customer in the pub? Was it, <laughs> did somebody <laughs> bring a parrot round, and he was like, "Yeah, sure, mate, I'll have a go." Um, well, I don't understand. Quickly, just before you get on to Jaden, um, I just want to give kudos to Jaylings, and again, it does not matter whatsoever. But I. He was in my top five hated players. And I'm talking up there with Deli Alley. Uh, and that that is something. Because of the way he merely rocked at the Emirates that time. And he just became this meme of like anti-Arsenalness. And when he was succeeding at West Ham, I couldn't I couldn't accept it in, the, in our hearts. Like the rest of the footballing community who just adore Jay Lings. I really didn't like him. As much as I appreciated what he was showing at West Ham, I just could not get behind him. I am more and more liking him as a man. And that's it. It doesn't matter what I think about him, but uh, kudos to him that he's changing ever so slightly. And the parrot's helped. Uh, oh, undeniably. Exactly. <laughs> if that is his parrot, then I think he's going to... Uh, even more so. He, he could easily rock it to a similar social plane as Marcus Rashford if he keeps that parrot game strong. MB J-Lings. You, look, there, there are ways to your fans' hearts. You can feed the children or have yeah. a parrot. You know the the options are limitless there. Exactly, and I, I they're best friends, aren't they? They probably play ideas off each other. I imagine. Do you think they share the parrot? Well, you'd be upset. I, if... I don't. I, I don't know if we have any parrot owning listeners. I don't know how this would work. No. So I'm sorry if I've offended people there. Um, <laughs> off the top, oh, that that was my fight. Apologize. Yeah, this is about Jaden Sancho. So if I Jayden segue Sancho. from segue nicely into that, yes. um, where was he, Alex? I'm really baffled by the decision to put two goalkeepers on the bench. Like I kind of get it because of the three men you're having to leave out 
One is certainly not match fit. That's Maguire. So, okay, there's one option already down. Jordan Henderson is half fit and really never had a chance of playing, but he actually made it onto the bench, which is even more confusing as well. So, I, I, I get why if you have, like, three injured players, you would put a second keeper on the bench. I get that. But I don't know why you do that when there's Sancho, and I noticed Chilwell also wasn't on there. Um... That was strange are, to me. Obviously, are we he that was stacked. Obviously, are we that stacked. Yeah, look. Obviously, he was never gonna take off and put somebody on in Trippier's place. So I get why Chilwell is not there. Well, that's the you know, we have uh, Manchester United's best player of the season, Luke Shaw. We've got Champions League winner Ben Chilwell. But the real question is, why don't we have any good left backs in the country that we have to play Trippier there? It's it is un it. He's Gareth in, was saying because of the his set piece delivery and he's a lot more and he or not that he's a lot more but he, he's very composed on the ball but it's surely just a case that trippy has got something very big over there's, there's some skeletons in southgate's closet that that trippy knows all about because this I, is getting beyond a joke at times i can't imagine what a man like southgate would get into uh that would want blackmailing but i do agree it's getting a bit strange now and i actually don't think trippy played that well yesterday no. Defensively, he was all right. Like there was no howlers, that was fine. But um, there, there were a couple of times where he went on overlapping runs, as he should do, because when Sterling's cutting inside, the overlap makes sense. But then when you yeah. pass him the ball in a position to actually use the overlap position he's got into, he would unfailingly cut back and sort of short circuit the momentum any sort of attack down that flank was building. So I don't think he played that well in the role, no. to be honest. Um, but I'd like to see a it, left footed left back. I, I know so, I'm asking a lot so of Gareth. But... So would I, but Trippier is the first name on the team sheet, isn't he? So yeah, he just is. He's going to be in one of those full back positions from now until the end of time or Southgate's reign as England manager, whichever one comes first there. You have to imagine that Gareth was just unbelievably disappointed that his game plan didn't work out when that free kick that Trippier got to take just outside the box almost same place as the semi-final three years ago and he just thought this is why I'm playing him for this exact moment and it didn't go any further. I'm sure he was um, very excited when that handball was given away (laughs) yeah well (laughs) I think that overall the players stepped up not in a oh that was a riveting 90 minutes of Euros football that I've just witnessed, but in a way that it was quite, uh, I, in my opinion, and we I, uh, we and I are prone to bash uh, Garrison, but I do think it was quite a commanding victory. I didn't expect them to concede. I, I thought Foden's chance very good at, at the beginning of the game. I thought we started really well, um, and arguably we could have scored if Kane hadn't nutted the post. Uh, at, uh, so it could have been free, free up, really. Um, I think right now, while we record, Scotland are playing, who are obviously our next opponents, and are not doing best. Alex, swivel in your chair. There's yeah, in the in the talking absolute ball information centre here where it's all going on. I can see there's twenty seconds left to play, and they're two 0 down. So it's not looking good. So it's fifty fifty. It's fifty fifty. Could go over way. I have seen some of this match. Um, I'm sure that anybody who does listen to us will be very familiar with what's going on in the Euros anyway. But just in case, 
if you don't know what's going on in this game, check out um, the Czech Republic second goal from Patrick Schick. It's an amazing finish. He lobs it over the keeper from almost the halfway line. He's a little bit further ahead than that. But there's they're on a little bit of a break. So Scotland players are charging back, as you do. I think it was from a set piece or something like that. He just takes his chances from a little bit after the um, halfway line. And it's a beautiful curling finish over the keeper. Made it 2-0. Check that out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but that does mean that they are going to be fighting hard on Friday. It does mean they're going to be fighting hard on Friday. And you know they will be up for it, given the yeah. rivalry as well. I arg- I arguably think there's going to be a bit more of a tasty match and hopefully a bit more of an open one. Uh, maybe it was the temperature that got to the boys yesterday uh, because after that 20-minute burst at the beginning, it did kind of lull. But it will be interesting. And it was a good start to Gareth's men's tournament. Shall we move on to our, everyone's favourite bits of topic, transfer talk? Kill me now. Ladies and gentlemen, you can't bring an object onto the field and start rubbing on the cricket ball, and you've got all the cameras on you. I mean, it's an embarrassment. It really is an embarrassment. God, I love that clip of Nick. I tell you what will be an embarrassment is some of these players Arsenal are linked to and will never sign. Okay, Alex. So how we've how we thought about this, seeing as there's been no big transfers because obviously the Euros are on around Europe. Uh, and as we are, funnily enough, an Arsenal and a Liverpool fan, we would have a look at some of the players that have been linked to our two excruciatingly dear clubs. Uh, but the way we're going to do it is there's three tiers and three different players we can look at from each team. One is, you know, a 60-70% chance we should sign him. Not that exciting, but we, you know, should get over the line. 40-50% uh, to 50%, we've been linked high, heavily with, but... We know our clubs, it, it's, it'll be a struggle to see them actually sign. And then thirdly, the third tier, a pipe dream. One we'd love to see, which has been linked, that's key, has been linked. But we ultimately know it's never going to happen. Alex, why don't you kick us off with your more realistic signing that Liverpool might make this summer? Yeah, well, I, I just want to touch on a little bit of a breaking news you dropped in your intro there. The, um, the Euros definitely are happening in Europe, so um, thanks for that, Cameron. That, uh, that's that's <laughs> the. You said, oh, no. you said the uh, the Euros are happening in Europe, and I just thought that's the kind of um, depth we get into here on um, on talking yeah. absolute. Well, ball. as I've described it, this is a podcast that rarely goes in depth. Yes, there, there's no depth here. It's there's the no point depth of the here. whole show. But um, the the one I think the the transfer link that we've had the most is coincidentally the one I think fits best into this category of actually there's a strong likelihood this could happen and it's the potential move for Neuhaus in the Bundesliga I think as a Wijnaldum replacement I not somebody who's necessarily going to be in the midfield when it's at its strongest but will be an able deputy he could fit into that role quite well and the bigger sort of more flashing warning sign on the dashboard if you look at Liverpool's last season is the lack of goals from midfield Uh, I know you've lamented Arsenal's input on that one before I think you got um six last season was it uh five five six Uh, I, I think Liverpool got seven 
So it's in the yeah. same sort of um, dire zone of play there, and he is somebody who can score goals from midfield. I think, if, in fact, I think he got um, seven or slightly over himself. So yeah. I, I, I think that's a I... really good sort of point to start with on why I think that rumour has things to it. And he'll be in the um, around... 35 to 45 million pounds bracket that Liverpool loves loves to do its business in so yeah. I, I think that will be like I think that's a likely one it would be a good signing as well not necessarily a, door, a boring obvious one it would be um, one that I would, would get me interested I'd like that I like Norhouse as a player I, and I think I could see him in a Liverpool shirt I think he works the, the criteria that you're looking for and exactly he's a bit of a point difference to the rest of them scores more goals although I would argue that your system that you play isn't isn't there for goals coming from your midfield you, your creativity comes from your fullbacks and obviously your wide players and your forward line are the ones that do the business it's different it's a it's a very effective uh, but different to the way that obviously City plays with your De Bruyne's your your Bernardo Silva's your Foden's your Gundogan your your David Silva's from uh, days yeah. gone well, days gone, do, years gone past I, I do agree with you Totally. I actually do, however, think that that slight lack of tactical flexibility has hurt Liverpool in the past. Yeah. No more clearly, clearly, it's good. Clearly. Word. No more clearly than um, last season and that run of six home defeats on the row, where they were just trying the same thing over and over again, not scoring goals, conceding shoddy ones at the back, and losing. Having somebody that can offer maybe a little bit more direct play. Could have been so invaluable in that in that rut they were in, um, and I, I, I sigh thinking this because actually thinking back, that is why we signed Kaita. But whether through whether you think it's injury, yeah. whether you think it's his injury problem, or maybe you think there is actually a lack of ability there, that's not panned out. And I think Norhouse would be a great sort of reset button for that project in uh, giving us a different way to play. Where do you go with Kaita? I don't know. I would be. I think Liverpool wants to sell him for a decent amount, but I don't think they want to offload him for pennies. So yeah. I can. I actually think he will stay in an attempt to maybe get a fitter, if not healthy, season out of him to maybe try and bump up the value a little bit. That failing. If it's a year's time and we're still in the same situation for him, that's when I start thinking maybe Liverpool will be looking to just um, offload for whoever the highest bidder is, whether that's 15, 20 million. But I don't think they'll try that this summer. I think they'll still try and um, recoup some of that value. Or if they do get a higher offer, maybe around mm. 30 million, I think they would settle him for that. I do think the, the failing of the Kite signing is one of the oddest failing because I really thought he was going to slot straight in and, and revolutionise that midfield and obviously injuries have not helped that I do think um, that's the main thing to be fair I don't, I, I've seen some people come to the conclusion that it is a lack of ability but every time you've seen him get four or five games in a row under his belt he's played really well right. the, the problem is it's usually on that 6th or 7th game where he picks up another injury so I, I think it is the injuries and it is such a shame it's arguably the only sort of blemish on this um, Edwards transfer era especially since Klopp took over so. Yeah, uh, 
to make it like yeah, like you're saying the final point about Neuhaus and and bringing something different to your midfield. I do think you're right when you're saying actually it's it's not been great on a tactical point of view that you were so rigid in how you played and how you got your goals because you just look like you say this season when injuries but also lack of form to a, a Trent for instance when all that creativity was coming down your fullbacks and so on you take one of those cogs out you didn't have a, a plan B at times and I think that's when Norhouse could be a very tactical and effective signing okay so Arsenal's likely signing shall we say but nothing as likely when it comes to transfers in Arsenal is an interesting one it's Andre Onana from uh, Ajax, the goalkeeper, the Cameroonian goalkeeper, who uh, the story, as most people know, but if you don't out there, it's that he picked up a ban for a year because he took a banned substance. However, this banned substance, uh, he claimed, was he was unaware that it was, and he thought it was paracetamol. He took it from his wife's purse. I mean, it turned out to be some kind of drug which, which flushed things out of your system. Sorry, I'm, I'm laughing. I just think that's a really rough afternoon. Like yeah. maybe you've just got maybe you're going into training uh, as a goalkeeper, so you're going to be diving around. You're thinking, ah, oh, I got this really he- this bad headache that I just can't shake. I'm just gonna nab some paracetamol from the um, from the missus's handbag here, and then you just spend all afternoon shitting your guts out. Part- <laughs> partly because of that, I I believe him because <laughs> why would well, you? Well, they all believed him to be why, fair. Why would you take? essentially what apparently is a laxative um <laughs> when when you're not in needing one <laughs> yeah. this is, uh, cause and i don't i don't a... i don't wake up in the morning uh ever so often thinking god i really need a good pipe cleaning today i'm just gonna yeah. go grab some laxative from the cupboard i just can't imagine the the moment of realization when he realized it wasn't paracetamol <laughs> well and it's been a costly flushing I'll be honest. Been a costly no. flushing. <laughs> uh, he, Episode he, title. <laughs> a costly flushing. A costly flushing. Mark it. Yeah. Put it down. Well, well he's been uh, he's been out of action since February. He's not God, even those really train. were powerful, weren't they? <laughs> they were. Yeah, that wasn't even enforced <laughs> by UEFA. That's not started. It's <laughs> still on the loo. <laughs> He's not even able to get to trading. Um, his teammates haven't seen him ever since. The oh, they've smelt him. <laughs> All right, I'll stop. I'll stop. I'm done. I'm done now. It's not. No, yeah, okay. Um, it's a very serious situation in which a footballer has been cast nine months of his career. Exactly. <clears throat> well, actually, well, and that you've, you've skipped a part because it was a year. It was a year that he's been cast from February to February. However, that was uh, contested by Ajax and himself, and the Court of Arbitration have uh, deemed that correct, but not entirely. So it wasn't completely thrown out the banning, but it was reduced to nine months, which means that he's allowed to be uh, training in September and play in November. Also, he's got a year left on his contract, and Ajax have already come out and said that they're not planning on extending it, which basically means... He is a absolute deal on the market. Apparently about three to seven million. Arsenal loves a deal. So this is where the links come from. But apparently they were looking at him in January until they realised it would be too much money, obviously. And they went for Matty Ryan on loan. So this is why this is my uh, most likely signing because we are very keen on a, a, a bargain deal. And also the rumours that Leno uh, may be looking for a new adventure elsewhere. And this just seems perfect for them although they will have to find a backup replacement 
to play until November and it cannot be renaissance. So yes, we are looking at Anana. I personally think that wouldn't be too bad. What do you think, Alex? I think he's a steal if you can get him for like five or six million euros. Um, the only thing that concerns me slightly is Ajax sounds like they've fought his corner a fair bit on this one, but have then decided they're not going to attempt to renew his contract or anything like that. So well, are, are there some kind of issues behind the scenes maybe i don't know this for a fact i'm not i'm not stating that i'm just curious as to why they'll have fought his corner at cass and then it is given up on the thing but that is that actually can be explained the the fighting his corner at cass was because they were hoping to increase his deal his his transfer market value sure Um, and they'll have wanted him to play that season so i do get that yeah well and apparently they came up before this and said that they weren't planning on renewing his deal uh, and I think that was pushed mainly by him uh, that he was looking to right. leave anyway. And so this w- this wanting this judgment was because I think they were saying if if they'd failed at Cass, it would have been below two million the value they they would have got for him. Uh, and so this was purely to get a few more million out of uh, the buying club. But I I really like him. Uh, he apparently is very good with his feet. You know he's got all the way uh, to the Champions League semi final before. <laughs> That Tottenham result, um, and the final of the Europa League was it the year before uh, against United. He's only just turned twenty-five. Huge resale value. If we do get him, I kind of think it's a bit of a no-brainer. Uh, only if obviously Leno departs the other way. Um, well, that, we get... that's it, isn't it? If you sign Anana, it it confirms you're giving up on the Leno project, surely, because neither one neither one of them will settle for being a a number two keeper or a Champions League keeper, which is a strange concept for me, but whatever, that's a topic for another time. But yeah. neither of them are going to settle for that. So if you sign him, you confirm you're giving up on Leno. How do you feel about that? Because I know when he signed for you, you were quite justifiably quite happy and quite excited with that. Well, yeah. Uh, I, I, I'm i getting to the stage where it might be good to part ways. Almost because of what happened with Emmy Martinez. Sounds silly, but we backed him, even though I'd say the majority of the fan base were wanting a homegrown and loyal to any to Arsenal uh, player in Emmy Martinez. And then now look how well he's gone, done, gone and done at Aston Villa, uh, goalkeeper of the year. And I think that the pressure of that has been huge on Leno. And he hasn't been that bad. I'd say he was a 6 out of 10 this year, but he made mistakes. And you can imagine every single little mistake he made, it was a comparison to Martinez. It was brought up in the media. And I think, you know what? I like Leno. Wouldn't be upset to see him start and goal uh, at the beginning of the Premier League. But, and this is the Arsenal mindset in full flow, if we are able to get, and I do think, because he's 29, good age, and he's a fashionable German goalkeeper, 20 to 25 million for him, and we can sign an honor for, let's say, hypothetically, 5 million. If we can guarantee that that 20 million difference, that profit we've got there, will go on to a big player or just anywhere in the squad that we desperately need, which is almost everywhere. Or the LA to... or the LA Rams new stadium. <laughs> or some new uh, paint for the LA Rams new stadium, obviously. Uh, I will take it. Uh, I just think it might be a case where it's a bit too good to be true to like turn up, uh, turn our nose up at this. Um and I think Leno's started to make noises that he wouldn't mind having a look elsewhere. I, I actually thought Dortmund might have been a really good place for him until they signed Gerb or something from Stuttgart. Mm-hmm. I thought that would have been a, that would have been a nice one. Uh, 
But actually, Ariola is my number one pick, even though we're not linked with him. But if anyone's listening out there, uh, Ariola, I think would have been would have been great. But Anana, twenty five years old. Um, I just think it's a bit of a no brainer, really. Okay, let's move on to our middle tier, Alex. Who at Liverpool, or who would you like to see at Liverpool? Who you think could be, you know, pretty likely here? I've bottled this one and I've put two forward here because I think if Liverpool signs either of them, in Liverpool's eyes, that's sort of the same signing, if that makes sense. Like, this is to fill one particular need of the, uh, the squad, so they may go in for one of these, and I've seen both of these linked. Yeah. The one I've seen linked most is Rafinha. So if I start with that one, obviously that would be a really nice signing. It would mm-hmm. solve our problem overnight if when you know you see the Liverpool team come out and it's got that usually last season maybe not, but usually that great attack and you look on the bench and if like okay, if they're chasing a game, they can bring on Origi or Shakiri or Curtis Jones. Having a Rafinha on there solves that problem and it's somebody who you know can start in the Premier League as well so you can replace one of the front three to give them less minutes because I think that has also been a problem over the last few seasons the um, the sheer amount of minutes that attacking line has played I despite it being very heavily linked I refuse to put it in the likely column because Leeds will want top dollar understandably yeah. I, I think they will charge a lot for Rafinha and he um, 60 50 yeah, 60 I, yeah I, I don't think higher than that I think 50 to 60 would be the bracket I don't think they'd be able to get away with 70 no but uh, and I think you've mentioned this to me before Rafinha's not a player that rocks the boat I don't think he's gonna uh, yeah sort of bust down the doors of Leeds if we offer 40 million and they say no I don't think he's the type who would refuse to train or something like that so no. I, I, I think there is some smoke to the fire of these links i think liverpool if they haven't already will definitely um explore the option and will probably even put in a bid of sorts but i don't think it will match leeds expectation and because of that i don't see us stumping up any more money in a season where we must remember we've actually still only just signed canate it's weird that almost feels like it was a different window but it was two weeks ago i think that he would be in a brilliant replacement, not like for like, but if the unthinkable happened and Salah left for that right wing. Um, and that's why I think it won't happen. Uh, but I do, I just love, I love, love, love Liverpool's way of signing those top players from those middling clubs. You see, and for that kind of, those brackets, that 30, 40 million, this would be a bit more. Um, you've seen it before, your Jotters, your... Marnes, uh, I just think that tremendous, and they always turn out to be worldies, and I think he'd be the same. And the way I'd say it is, you know, like when you look at the best of the rest Premier League teams, so out of the top six, those best teams, Saha's always in it. Liverpool always seem to pick players out from there, and I think Rafinha is another one. And if you were to sign him, I think that'd be tremendous. But I just can't see you going for him if Salah's still there next season. I can't see it, and I mentioned I had another player in mind here as well. This is slightly different, but this comes from a desire to perhaps give a more direct attacking option in the same way that Norhouse would give a more direct midfield attacking option. There have been links to Marlon at PSV, mm. and I quite like that. Yeah. As I, I, I think he would be... Um, I, I mean, Jota has been sort of a, um, 
a shot up the arse of Firmino to begin with anyway. Um, who, well, you dislike him more than I do, but I obviously wasn't happy either with last season. I will say in his defence, the last sort of five games, the, uh, the Champions League clinches, if you would, Firmino played really well and there were flashes of that like 2018 Firmino. But I don't know if I trust that enough that it will continue into next season. And I yeah. think Marlon would be a really good, slightly more direct option to put in between the um, the two wingers. Maybe if you wanted to go really attacking, have someone like Jota sat behind him to do more of that Firmino uh, creative role. That would offer something new to the attack. And it has been linked. And I think he would be around that 40 million bracket. If Liverpool wanted to get serious, I think they could make that happen. They would no chance, absolutely no chance, make that happen in the same season as someone like Rafinha, though, which is why I see it as um, they both address an attacking concern. So in Liverpool's eyes, if they were to pull the trigger on that, they're one in the same transfer-wise, even though they do bring different things to the team. But if they are going to sign an attacking player, those are the two that I think are the most likely. Um, I think Marlon perhaps slightly more likely because he will be a little bit cheaper, but that flies in the face of the rumours which have been very Rafinha heavy. But I think the price tag could put us off that one. I I think Marlon would be tremendous. I do think he's a totally different player to Firmino, more of a uh, in-the-box poacher type player mm. uh, as you well know I'm not a fan of Firmino I, just, I, I, I know what he brings but I think it was been it was masked by the productivity of Mane and Salah scoring uh, and so it's kind of like oh what does Firmino bring well he brings that work ethic and he, he helps create space and presses for these players but when they stop scoring I think the mask was lifted a little bit but um, yes I think Marlon would be very good and I, like I say I think it would be one or the other okay Arsenal's middle rung player but by middle rung I mean it's, it could it could happen but it's Arsenal so don't hold your breath I'm going to bottle it also and go for two players both Brighton players both heavily linked for around the £40 million pound mark Danny Welbeck oh. uh, oh, Wele you know what I'd take Wele for the memes uh, I loved Wele uh, that goal against Leicester priceless um Basuma and Ben White have been heavily linked with us. Uh, Basuma for a long while, he, obviously he has everything we would need, but also the same agents as Pepe. There's that uh, funny clip of the last game of the season, Pepe showing around the uh, Emirates. This is where your family could sit and everything. Um, and it, it, it just it's too good to be true in terms of it looks like he wants to come. It should be within budget. Uh, and he would fit a lot of our problems. So inevitably, Arsenal will not get him. I would adore it. Top tackles in the league. Uh, not the same kind of mould as a Kante, but more of an Ndidi type player. I would love to see a pivot of him and Partey. I think it'd be tremendous. And with the news that Xhaka is most likely leaving, I think that that will be a brilliant signing. And I would, if I got a choice between him and Neves, it would be Basuma all day. Um and Ben White has become out uh, in the last few days a very interesting one uh, by David Ornstein uh, that we are very seriously considering Ben White because we are trying to replace David Luiz at that right centre-back. Very contentious among the Arsenal fans seeing as we've got Saliba coming back and everyone wanting to see him make his bloody debut. He's been around, we've paid £27 million from him two years ago and he's not played one match. Arsenal have paid £27 million for a player, a centre-back, and he's not played. Um... 
So that is an interesting one, but I must say, I do like Ben White. And I see a lot of Arsenal fans saying, oh my goodness, losing their minds. What about Saliba? It's 40, 50 million. We don't have that. I agree. However, in this utopian land I live in, if it's just the Cronkies going, you know what, you can have 40, 50 million here for him, but that doesn't affect your your transfers elsewhere, I take him. But if that means we're going to end up with some shocker at number 10 in that creative midfield role, then no thank you. But I wouldn't mind seeing Ben White come in. But Basuma for me, that's the one we really need. However, I was mentioning this earlier, something that I'm worried about when it comes to Basuma, and I've wondered, why hasn't this just gone through? Why haven't we just bitten their arm off, bish bash bosh, done? Well, currently, with Ceballos gone, Xhaka likely leaving, uh, Guendouzi likely to go in Torreira. I think it's quite almost nailed on they're all going. That will leave us with a central midfield pairing of El Nene and Partey. And if you add Basuma to that, what links them all? All African, all likely to go at some point, if not already in January, to the African Cup of Nations. That will completely decimate the centre of our midfield. And I'm really worried that is the factor that is holding Arteta and Edu back in just going all out for him. And I really hope that's not what ends up scuppering that deal. Because I just think he is top, top notch. And he's Malian. So I don't think they're always guaranteed to, to get into the African Cup of Nations. So please, Arsenal, go out and do this. What do you think, quickly, uh, Alex, of the kind of Basuma Ben White links? Do you think there's any credence to them? I can really see the Basuma one. In fact, I'm going to go out on a limb and say I think that will happen this summer. I think oh, there's momen- I think there's momentum to that transfer. Um, I think he wants to go to Arsenal. And I think Arsenal will try something to make that happen, especially with the very public failing of Buendia. There is... Fan pressure can do some things and they will want to try and recover from that negative story. I think Basuma would be a good start for that one. I don't see Ben White for the price you'd need to pay for him because yeah. I think... Arsenal are very conservative in the transfer market anyway. Um, they they will try and spread that money elsewhere. I do think what you're saying about AFCON is a valid concern. I don't know, admittedly, who has qualified for that or who is likely to qualify for that this year. No. Um, so I don't know if it's relevant. I think it would be very short-term thinking to not do that deal because of that. You You can argue you could get then a sort of solid um other midfielders to try and cover that role in that yeah. time so i i think you will go for him and i think you will pull it off but i don't see ben white yeah i actually thought white might have gone to liverpool before the canate deal came off so i thought he's that kind of uh, player that would have interested you guys but it's one of those uh, that was um apparently on the short list wasn't he i think a lot yeah. of your in the know liverpool journalists do say that white was considered mm. um Okay. For whatever that's worth. Yes, well, it's, I don't think... Well, it's definitely not going to happen now. Um, your big money player, the one that you would love to have, however you accept it is unlikely. I mean, obviously, the, uh, the transfer... I'm not even going to say saga because that lends it too much credence. The transfer comedy that won't die are these delusional rumours that Mbappe is considering Liverpool. Obviously, that won't happen. We would never stump up the money to pay his wages, let alone pay any fee PSG might want. Uh, so I won't touch that one. I think that one's as dead as it gets. What I will say is we have been very strongly linked to Yuri Tielemans recently. I think he's an outstanding midfielder. I'd love to see him in a Liverpool shirt. 
he would be big money and cost around £70 million, and I think it's totally fair that Leicester demand that. It's not going to happen because we're not going to pay £70 million for somebody who is far from guaranteed a starting midfielder role, who doesn't offer a flexible strategic option in the same way that Norhouse might. Obviously, if you're asking me who is the better midfielder at the moment, it is Tielemans. But Norhouse brings something to the team we don't have at the moment, more so than Tielemans does. I think it's one of those where if we had more money we would go in and make it happen, but we don't. And I think they will go for two players, like perhaps a Nohaus and a Marlon, rather than just a Tielemans, despite how heavily linked it is. Yeah, uh, totally agree. Think it's, I think 60 to 70 million for Tielemans is a very fair price, That if that is what's set by Leicester, I think uh, that's fair enough from them. Um, totally the same. I don't think Liverpool aren't a Man City. I really like a Liverpool run, but what you don't do is you don't splash big money on players that aren't guaranteed to fill a gap in your starting eleven. And I just don't see with when all fit, that's funny with Liverpool, but when all fit, Fabinho is an absolute starter. Um, Hendo, club captain, does that brilliant industry box-to-box midfield role. And I think you've got Thiago as that kind of more creative player. I don't yeah. see uh, yeah. where... We're- Tielemans fits in there completely we're not benching Thiago and ultimately that is the player that um, Tielemans would be in direct competition with whereas somebody like Norhouse would be a different option that you can slide in differently depending on the demands of whatever game you're in exactly and he's cheaper and he's far cheaper half the price I would guess to be honest maybe slightly over if Tielemans is 70 maybe Norhouse is 40 yeah I I know that's not what we're saying but I I can see Tielemans is kind of player Barcelona yeah, tremendous set. Um, brilliant player. Unfortunately for you guys, I just don't see it because of the kind of way you do business. I agree. Um, shall shall we go on finally to Arsenal's unlikely player? But we have been linked with very key. We have been linked with, and that is Raheem the Dream Sterling. Uh, yes, unlikely, I know. However, I don't know if you, if any of you out there, any of you listeners, or you, Alex witnessed his post-match interview yesterday after the Croatia game. The interview asked him about was he happy to get to England and so on and recapture his goal-scoring form. And he was very... It just struck me, and you can read too much into it, he was very happy to be away from Man City. He quoted that there was a lot of reasons that why he had a poorer season in front of goal for City. And it seemed like there was a lot of frustration there. And so I think there's some credence to the rumours that he might be off. I'm not saying to Arsenal... But there is a bit of discontent there, and there's all these uh, these things going around that he could be used as make weight for a Kane deal, uh, like at Spurs or so on. But I could see a madness and him moving, maybe not to Arsenal, but it wouldn't be beyond, you know, that he could be out the door. Alex, could you see him at Arsenal with a straight face? No. Um, this being said, I think if Arsenal got serious about it, they could pull off that transfer, because I think you're quite right... There's something there, and I think that he has he has every chance of leaving City this summer. I just don't think it will be Arsenal because I don't think Arsenal will pump up the cash for it. And also, you mentioned earlier, you've got so many positions that need fixing or reinforcing. Is Winger one of them? Saka, Martinelli, Pepe. Do do you need another one? No, he's that, going that's... to he's going to cost you a lot of money. Like that's seventy five million, maybe more. If if we're spending 75, 80 million, please do it 
either spread it across uh, and get a few decent players in the areas we need, you know, right back, <laughs> back up, left back, goalkeeper, uh, two central midfielders and crucially a number 10. Um, and winger is probably the position we're most stacked in, to be honest, of, of quality. Your Martinelli's, like you say, your Sackers, your Pepe's and Aubameyang often plays on the left wing. Um, but I must say, this whole notion that Raheem the Dream is failing, well, had a poor season that's on the down low, he's not. I, I'm, I've got the stats in front of me, 10 goals and 7 assists this year, 0.25 assists per game, that's up from 0.03 the year before. Yes, he didn't score, he scored 20 goals the year before, that's madness, and 17 before that and 18. But I, I do think he'd be tremendous in our team. However, we aren't that club who has the luxury to spend 80 million on Raheem and then go out and spend a further 100 on the rest of the team. So exactly like you say, as much as it won, it's unlikely anyway. If you gave me the opportunity to sign a top-notch number 10 or creator or Raheem, I would go for the creator. And the name we all want, as every single Arsenal fan, and even probably more unrealistic, is Jack Grealish. Please, please, please. But it won't happen. Um, You know what? I think... That's probably probably you. You must be tired, Miller. You've you've been carrying the show on its back today. Um, it, it's been the Alex Miller show, so I think it's only right that you you sign us out today, Mister Miller. That's a that's very kind. It has been a um, I'd say it's been a privilege carrying the show for the last week. But as I did mention, I do have nothing else to live for, and I do just sit in this chair waiting for the the podcast on light to blink, and I come to life like a reanimated robot. So it's all it's all just in a week's work for me. Um, I will I will let slip to our uh, viewers that we did have a recording mishap. This is the podcast. So good. We did it twice. Yeah. So deafen my voice. (laughs) So it's um, to all uh, four or five of you. I hope you appreciate the uh, production effort that's gone into this week. (laughs) And we're very glad to have you around. Yes, no, we are. And uh Again, if if please if you are fans of any team, but especially obviously when we're just talking about the transfers of Arsenal Liverpool, please come in, in the description. There's our Twitter and Instagram. Come out and just let us know who you think we should sign, or if we're talking absolute rubbish, which of course we are. Okay. Or if you're a um, a morally questionable brand looking for advertising, we will yes. do it. We don't care what you've got in your closet. More morally <laughs> questionable, the better. <laughs> we I'd will argue. Ri- rich energy. Do you yes. do you fancy this? I will plug your non-existent drink. <laughs> Uh, please, please get in touch. Again, email in the description. This is, this is not an ad. We've not been paid to say anything of this. Other no. energy drinks are available. In no. fact, literally any other drink is available. Yes, please, any other drink. Uh, <laughs> all right, Alex. Everyone, thank you very much for listening to this. Thank you, Alex, for hosting the whole entirety of this episode. I We shall see you after the Scotland game. What an interesting one that will be. Hopefully the boys continue there. Uh, decent form, don't know, but continue doing well and we shall speak to you next week. Adios.